In the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, early on in his ministry, he had spent 40 days and 40 nights alone in the wilderness, fasting and praying and seeking the face of the Lord. And as he was in the process of doing that, and that time came to an end, he was very hungry. Imagine not eating for 40 days. And in that hunger and at that place of fatigue and exhaustion, Satan came to him and began to tempt him. In fact, the story says that the tempter came to him. And repeatedly, the devil would say to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, striking at his identity. And then he would say, you need to do something. You need to turn the stones into bread so you can have something to eat. You need to throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple and the angels will, will capture you every time. And, and in these temptations, Satan would take the, the word of God and he would twist it and take it out of context and throw it at Jesus. In all three instances of temptation, Jesus doesn't try to debate the devil. He looks at the devil and he quotes the Scripture straight to the devil. In fact, he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy in all three cases, and he uses the word strategically as he specifically applies the Scripture to the specific temptation. It almost fits like a puzzle coming together. Satan throws the temptation out, and Jesus responds back immediately with a Scripture that applies directly to what that temptation has been. First temptation, for example, you need to take these stones and you need to turn them into bread. And Jesus looks at him and he responds by saying, listen, the Bible says that you are to not, we are to not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Quoting again from the book of Deuteronomy, applying specifically the word of God to the specificity of the temptation that he's being faced with. Now, what Jesus is engaging in here is what the Bible later identifies in the book of Ephesians as spiritual warfare. Warfare that is taking place in the spiritual realm. And Jesus, by quoting Scripture, is using what Paul will identify in Ephesians chapter 6 as the sword of the Spirit. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. The book of Ephesians chapter 6. Now, the folks in Ephesus were lived in the middle of continuous spiritual warfare. We have seen that Ephesus was a place that featured two major areas of temptation. One was in the area of idolatry. You couldn't go anywhere in Ephesus that there wasn't a temple built to somebody to be worshipped, whether it was the emperor, whether it was the great big huge temple to the false god Artemis, who was the god of Ephesus. There were just temples everywhere, and so they were faced constantly with the temptation of idolatry. And all the folks that they pretty much knew were worshipping all these different idols and false gods. Secondly was sensuality. Every kind of delinquency in the area of sensuality you can imagine was being practiced in the city of Ephesus. And so they had grown up in this and they were facing this every day. They lived in a continuum of spiritual warfare. And so as Paul draws to a close, to close out the book of Ephesians, he moves into a section in which he begins to describe the spiritual armor that the Lord wants to outfit us with. 
He was a prisoner at the time he wrote this. And as was the custom in those days, he would have been chained to a Roman soldier to make sure he didn't go anywhere. And so as Paul is sitting there with one arm chained to a Roman soldier and the other one free to write, he looks over at that soldier and he begins to take the elements of that soldier's armor and he begins to use it as metaphors for the armor of God that we need to be outfitted with. And he comes to the sword and he says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, let's look at this sword of the Spirit. Notice it says it is the sword of the Spirit. We've seen earlier in the book of Ephesians that the Holy Spirit operates in our lives to create victory in our lives if we will walk with the Spirit's work in our lives. It says we have been sealed with the Spirit. And part of the reason we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God is placed inside of us and seals us to be the Lord's servant from now till we go to heaven, is so that He can teach us to how to properly use the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, that is the Word of God, gives us the wisdom we need for living. It illuminates the Word of God to us to teach us. The Spirit convicts us when we fall short of God's standards, and He equips us with the Word. Now, he says, use the sword of the Spirit. There were two types of swords that the Roman soldiers used. One was a long sword that was used maybe for glancing blows. But the particular sword that he references here was a small sword, about 24 inches in length. It had a double blade on it. It was used for up-close and personal conflict. It was used to strike a quick death blow. And the idea of using this sword is that when the Roman soldier would go to reach for this sword, he was anticipating that he was going to get very, very close to the opponent that he was going to be so close to the opponent that he could literally feel the breath of the opponent in his face. And it was that in that close conflict that he would take that sword and seek to thrust it into the enemy's body. Now, the idea that Paul is trying to give us here by using that is that we, with the sword of the Spirit, number one, take the battle to the enemy. It is the idea that he knew that the Roman soldier, when he pulled that sword, was not going to sit back and wait for the battle to come to him. Rather, the soldier was moving out in offense to take the battle to the enemy. The sword is the piece of the armor that alone is offensive. In other words, all the other pieces were primarily used for defense. The helmet of salvation, for example, to protect the helmet used to protect the head. The breastplate used to protect the chest. But it was the sword that was used to go on the offense. So when Paul says here, takes the sword of the Spirit, what he is saying is, you need to go on the offense. When you take the Word of God, you are primarily to be on the offense with the Word. So many times we as believers live on the defense. We're just always sitting back, taking whatever the devil's got to dish out to us. We take our lumps, we take our bumps, we take our attacks from him, and we just sort of wipe the sweat off and thanking God that we endured yet another attack. But what Paul is saying here is, listen, you need to take the word of God, and you need to take the battle to the enemy. You need to go on the attack. 
when you face the enemy. Don't just live a life where you sit back and you take whatever Satan's got to dish out for you and you're wiping sweat off of your head that you got through it. The devil needs to be wiping sweat off of his head because we are moving forward and we are taking the battle to him and we will successfully do that only with the Word of God in our hands. So take the battle to the enemy. And when you do that, realize that it is going to be up close and it is going to be personal. There is no such thing as distance spiritual warfare. The spiritual warfare is always going to be close. Now notice I mentioned that sometimes the warfare was so close and so intense that you could feel the breath of the enemy in your face as you were fighting him. The greatest spiritual warfare that we will face is not going to be outside of us. It's going to be inside of us. When Satan begins to attack our emotions, when he begins to attack our thinking, when we begin to wrestle and we begin to struggle on the inside of us with issues and challenges that we are facing, fear, when we are battling with it on the inside, anxiety, when we are struggling with it in the depths of who we are, that's where that spiritual warfare is taking place on the inside, when we feel like that we're not up to the challenge, when Satan is putting the questions to us like he did to Jesus, if you belong to the Lord, if you are God's child, if God's blessing you, if God's got any use for you anymore, if you've got a chance, if you can move forward, if you belong to the Lord, on and on and on, the ifs go. What's he trying to do? He's creating a struggle within us. He's creating a struggle within our mind. And so often the battle is not outside of us. The battle is inside of us. And if we can win the battle on the inside, we will always be guaranteed that we're going to win the battle on the outside. And see, Satan tries to take the areas in our lives where we have struggled in the past and where stuff's been planted into our thinking and into our lives that creates the place for defeat. And that's where he tries to go and he tries to hit us when he came to Jesus, Jesus was struggling with hunger on the inside. And so that's exactly where Satan goes, is to the place of the weakness, turn the stones into bread. Satan knows where the weaknesses are. He knows where the struggle is. He knows where the battle is going to be fought. And so that is exactly where he's going after us. And our response has to be to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He has equipped us for victory. He will never allow battle to take place in our lives that we are not equipped for victory, but we've got to use the Word of God for the victory. Now, how do we do that? Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. He speaks there about how the Word of God functions. How does the sword function in our lives? For the Word of God is living and active. He doesn't say it's dead. He doesn't say it's boring. He said it is living and it is active. His word, because it is the result of him breathing it out, is living and it is active. He's going to take it and he's going to use it. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, using that metaphor again, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit. Notice that the Word of God penetrates into the depths of who we are, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The Word of God penetrates into the depths and into the essence of who we are, and then it acts to discern our thoughts and our intentions. The Word of God 
when we read it, when we study it, when we meditate on it, is going to speak directly to who we are. It is going to discern and cause us to discern why we do what we do. Even sometimes the good stuff we do is done for the wrong reason. The Word is going to discern, and when we read it and we study it, God's going to take the Word by the work of the Spirit, and He's going to help us to discern, and He's going to show us what we need to understand about ourselves. Now, sometimes that's scary, and often that's intimidating. And if you've ever had this experience with the Bible, you'll sit down and you'll start reading something, and it starts hurting. And, you know, this is convicting me, and this is getting to me, and I don't like what it's saying to me. So what am I going to do? I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to push it away. I'm not going to bother with it because it's got that discerning process of my thoughts and the intentions of my heart. In other words, the depth of who I am. But I need to let the Word of God do what the Word of God was designed to do. When all I want is the Word to comfort me, that's fine, and that has its place. But I need the discerning, penetrating work of the Word of God in my life. That's how God is liberating us when the Word discerns us, when the Word begins to divide us and to move into us and to do inspection in our lives. Notice verse 13, what he says next. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In other words, the Word of God is going to expose us in our entirety to who we are. He's going to show us who we are and where we are in our walk with Him and who we are as human beings as He begins to take the Word and to do that specific work in our lives. Now, if the Word of God is going to carry out what Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 say, if it's going to be that sword of the Spirit, we've got to know how to use the Word. The Roman soldiers would have gone through extensive training to know how to use the sword. They didn't just get a sword and go out into battle. They had to know the power of the sword, the way to use the sword, the angles to hold it at, how to specifically apply it and thrust it forth in battle. We have got to know our sword. And the more that Satan can make you and I ignorant of this book, the Word of God, and not know how to use it, the more he knows he's got the victory already won. In your insert in your bulletin this morning, on one side it says Old Testament and New Testament, and it's got the river of inspiration. This is taken from the Thompson's Chain Reference Bible. I'd like for you to look at it, because this is a layout of the books of the Bible and how they function in groups. So allow me to quickly move you through this. First of all, at the top of the page, you have what's called the Pentateuch. Genesis through the book of Deuteronomy. Those books lay out the history of the nation of Israel in its earliest years, lay out the Ten Commandments, lay out how God related to His people, and, re- and lay out how God created this earth. It's the section of beginnings appropriately at the beginning. Next, you come to the books of history, Joshua through Esther. And this gives us the history of the nation of Israel and how God worked with the nation of Israel as it began to emerge as a nation, as it began to face the struggles it did with idolatry and so forth. Then you move to a different section that has a whole different focus and different approach, the books of poetry, Job through the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. And the purpose of these books is to take poetry 
ancient Hebrew poetry that may not always come through as poetry in the, our English Bibles, but to relate worship and life and how you and I come at life using a poetic angle to do that. Then you come to the major prophets. Now, they are called major prophets not because they're more important than any other prophets. They're called major prophets simply because they are the largest of the prophetic books. And that takes you Isaiah through the book of Daniel. And the basic focus of these books is going to be prophecy that God gave through these prophets for whom the names, the books take their name. And these words of prophecy were used for the nation of Israel at that time in history, as well as it contained prophecy for what was to come. Now, the minor prophets, Hosea through the concluding book of Malachi, are simply called minor, not because their message is minor, but because they are smaller books than the major prophets. And again, they had a specific calling to address situations with the nation of Israel and later the nation of Judah when Israel split. Also, they had a calling from God to again give prophecy of what would be fulfilled later in history. That takes you through the Old Testament. Then you go into a period of 400 silent years from the close of the book of Malachi to the opening of the book of Matthew when God was silent and he did not speak through a prophet. Then you come to the New Testament and you come into the four Gospels which are history and they are the story of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ from basically different angles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke focusing on pretty much the entirety of Jesus' ministry. John chooses to take most of his book, particularly the second half of his book, and focus on the last week in detail of Jesus' public ministry. Then you move into what's called the Pauline epistles, Romans through Philemon. They are so called because they are written by Paul, who was basically the church planter in the Roman world of the early church, the leader of the early church. And all of these are letters called epistles that were written to the churches for which they bear their name. For example, Philippians was written to the Christians, the believers at Philippi, etc. And then the last three, the Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, two specific individuals that are there. Then we go to what are called the general epistles, Hebrews through Jude. And they're called general because they are written by different authors from whom the books take their names. And they address a variety of subjects as opposed to Paul's work, which tended to address specific churches that had specific issues that they were struggling with. And then we conclude with the book of Revelation, which is call it Revelation as an unveiling of what God says He is doing and He is going to do. So that is sort of a quick overview of what you would encounter as you get into specific books of the Bible and how they flip with the flow of Bible history and what God is trying to communicate. Now, he says here it is the sword of the Spirit. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God or all Scripture is God-breathed. And it is the idea that the Spirit of God literally breathed out the Scriptures as He worked with those who were the writers of Scripture, preserving them from error as He worked through them. Now, it is the work of the Spirit of God to give us the Word of God and then to equip us when we go into spiritual warfare. Now, it's very interesting in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, that he says, 
Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then notice how he follows that up. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints. It's fascinating to me that what he does here is Paul says, I want you to take the sword of the Spirit, and he follows that immediately with instructions for them to pray in the Spirit. A great deal of spiritual warfare takes place in prayer. We first take the battle to the enemy in prayer. But how do we take it in prayer? Guided by the Word of God. Shown by the Word of God how to pray. Taught by the Word of God how to pray. Now, the question comes, how do I know how to take the Word of God and pray in spiritual warfare? And sometimes that is what we anticipate warfare we're going into. For example, in the Southampton Roads Mission Project, we begin to pray over the churches and over the communities before we ever get there. But sometimes you're in spiritual warfare you had not even intended on being in. It's just boom, right there in front of your face, and you got to deal with it. So how do we know how to take the Word of God and use it in those circumstances? Psalm 119 and verse 11. I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Notice the verb there. I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, as we take the Word of God, and store it up inside of us as we read it, as we study it, as we memorize it, as we get the Word of God stored up in us. It is then that the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and enables us to go into battle. The more ignorant I am of the Bible, the more or the less time I spend in the Word of God, letting it become part of who I am, the more ill-equipped I will be in prayer and in spiritual warfare. Folks, Satan's number one objective for us is to separate us from this book. And he will use every means possible to do it. Most of the time it's because we just think we're too busy to bother with his word. i got too much going on in my life. If I've got too much going on to spend time on the word, I'm going to find all kinds of time to walk in defeat and in discouragement and being beat up in spiritual warfare. If I take the time that I need to take to know the Word, to store the Word up, then I'm going to find the time to walk in the victory that God has for me. Now, it says it's the Word of God. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I want you to follow closely, and it's in your sermon outline, what I'm about to say. There are three words in the New Testament that are translated for the Word of God. The first is a Greek word pronounced graphe. It means the written message. In other words, what we know is the Bible. It's the idea of the Scriptures in their totality. The second Greek word is logos. It means understanding the message. In other words, it's not just the words and the chapters and the written word, but it's understanding what I'm reading. The third word, which is the word that he uses here, is rhema. And that word is fascinating. It carries the idea of being specific. It is the idea that I am able to take the word of God and apply it specifically to specific situations, just like Jesus did in the temptation. 
that I can take the word and apply it specifically to the temptation that I am facing. That I can take the word and apply it in spiritual warfare to the situation that I am addressing. It is the idea of a laser-like approach to using the Word of God to apply to a situation. Now, you're probably listening and thinking, how in the world am I ever going to do that in prayer and in spiritual warfare? Notice it's the sword of the who? Of the Spirit. Listen, if we store up the Word of God in us, the Spirit of God is going to bring it to our memory in the moment that we need it. The Spirit of God is going to bring it right up to you when you need it. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, it says, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So I take Philippians 4.19 and I commit Philippians 4.19 to memory. My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. First of all, notice that If you studied and meditate on it, you're storing it up. Who's God? My God. That's personal. That's possessive. He's in my life. He's going to do what? What's the promise of this verse? We'll supply every need of yours. Notice the word there, the adjective, every need of yours. Not one need out there that is exempted from the need that he cannot address. Every need of yours, how is he going to do that? What's the means by which he's going to do that? According to his riches. He didn't say my riches. He said he's going to supply it according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Where am I going to find the riches? I'm going to find them in his glory. Where am I going to find the glory of those riches? I'm going to find the glory of those riches in Christ Jesus. So what do I do when I face need in my life? You see, when I come up with need in my life, it's tempted to be overwhelmed. I'm tempted to be intimidated. I'm tempted to give up. But the biggest thing most of us do when we're in need is do what? We go searching through our riches. And what happens when we start going through our riches? We tend to come up short. I don't have the patience I need. I don't have the wherewithal I need. I don't have the ability to go the the distance that I need. So we go into anxiety. We start freaking out. We start getting overwhelmed. We get discouraged. We give up. And you see, what the Lord will do, the Spirit of God will do, if we've committed Philippians 4.19 to memory, is the Spirit of God, when you have need in your life, is going to quicken that verse to your mind. And you can look into the need and say, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Father, I am claiming this verse. I'm going to walk in this verse. And I am going to live this day. And I'm going to walk through this day expecting to walk in the riches of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how I'm going to approach this. Instead of, oh my Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I get all beat up and defeated, etc. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to claim his riches and I'm going to live and I'm going to walk in his riches. Several weeks ago, I I had this moving up to shrimp. Two weeks before shrimp, we had two churches we were committed to and we had a total of 30 people that were going to be on the team. It takes at least 25 to outfit a mission vacation Bible school and some of those folks are going to be working in the kitchen so I was like Lord how in the world are you going to take care of this we we got to have the team members we didn't have a worship team and I didn't know what we were going to do to get a worship team and I I couldn't find anybody and I was starting to worry and freak out about that etc and the Lord just spoke and said I got this but you got to let me have this you got to start claiming my power in this And when we got into shrimp, we ended up with 89 team members that God put together in the last two weeks. 
I saw the Lord on one night in worship. I looked up there, and we had, I think it was either seven or nine folks up there sharing in the band and leading us in worship. And over and over and over, we saw God meet the need again and again and again. But we had to learn to operate out of His riches. But let me tell you one secret about working, operating out of the riches of God's glory. He will never be late. He is always on time, but He is rarely on our time. Rarely on our time. How many times have we said, God, you should have shown up yesterday. And God says, that's not my timing. Because he's always going to take us the way of faith. Always going to take us the way of faith. That's how you walk in that. Now, how do we use the word? How do we use the word? First of all, read the word of God. Now, starting Wednesday night... August the 11th at 6.30. Wednesday night, August the 11th at 6.30. That's a week from this Wednesday night. I'm going to begin teaching a series here at the church, 6.30 on Wednesday night. And you can see it on the back here on unlocking the mystery of the Bible. And we're going to look at different Bible study methods. First one is going to be how to interpret a passage of Scripture. So you don't have to just... Open a passage, you get totally overwhelmed. What do you, how do you interpret a passage? We're going to talk about how we do a chapter summary method, the character quality method, looking at various character qualities and how we can develop those using the Word of God, the thematic, taking a theme, for example, redemption. How do you study the Bible looking for that? The Bible background method. Then the interpretation of parables, and that's going to be to prepare you for a series of messages I will begin later in the fall on the parables of the Bible, the verse-by-verse method, the book survey method, the devotional method, and then we'll talk about tools to use when studying the Bible. I've also listed there two study Bibles that I would recommend to you. One is called the ESV or the English Standard Version Study Bible. It's got great maps and contextual things in it. Also, the Thompson's Chain Reference uh, Bible. Now, a good study Bible is going to be thick and heavy. It's not the kind of thing you want to carry around with you all the time. But these will greatly enable your Bible study. Most of this you can probably also get on Kindle if you want to use that approach. Reading the Word of God. Second, meditating on the Word of God. I already did that in Philippians 4.19. That is, you take the words and you just roll them through your mind over and over and over again and look at how you can apply it to your life. Then memorization. I want to challenge us. Memorize a verse a week. Take a verse of God's word per week and memorize it. Store it up inside of you. God will bless you immensely and use the memorization of his word. And then finally, of course, studying the word and how it applies to your life. That's how you and I can take this book. And it's not just here anymore. It's here And it's here. And we can take the sword, and we can go on the offense with the sword. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you this morning that we can walk in the spiritual victory that you've got for us with your word as the sword of the Spirit. And Lord, today, many who are sitting here and others who are listening, Lord, through the Internet, are facing spiritual warfare, some of which they anticipated, some of which they did not anticipate. God, I pray that you would help all of us to store your word up in us, convict us of doing that, Lord, so that we can live in the spiritual victory that you've got for us. And Jesus, thank you for the sword of the Spirit.
your word that you've given us. As our heads are bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you have never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and chosen to follow Him and belong to Him and to be in Christ Jesus, as Philippians 4.19 says, I want to give you an invitation this morning on the Lord's behalf. And that is this day to say to Jesus Christ, Dear Lord Jesus, I choose this day to follow you. Jesus, I want to belong to you. In your precious name, Lord, I pray. If you pray that to him, he hears you, he accepts you, and you belong to him. In just a moment, we are going to stand and we're going to sing a song. And I will be down front here. If you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, or if you just did, I invite you to come. And I'd love to pray with you about life's most important decision, choosing to follow Jesus. If you're here and the Lord is speaking to you by becoming a part of our church family, I invite you to come. And if you just need to come and pray, Pray where you are, we invite you to do that. In these moments, may we transpire with God whatever we need to do to strengthen our relationship with Him. Father, we give you praise for working in our lives. In your name, amen. Let's stand together.